companies, especially big companies, tend to be really big fans of having meetings. And that's something that takes up a lot of time and definitely can have negative effects both on engagement and productivity. There's a lot of um, research out there. Um, a lot of it cited in HBR talking about how um, large, um, seemingly ineffective meetings tend to um, really hurt how satisfied employees are at their job. But what we often see is um, a, a significant percentage, often the majority of meeting time that people participate in um, is either over an hour long or has 11 or more attendees. So there are people spending um, possibly 15 or 20 hours in meetings a week, and they'll be have over seven hours, um, sometimes over 10 hours of meetings with just tons of attendees, really long meetings. And not only are those proven to have a really low chance of actually getting things done, like coming to consensus on things, enabling agile decision-making, but they also are really deadly for um, engagement. So it's really easy to zone out, start texting, um, just not pay attention. Um, so that's something that we see all the time within companies. Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. And if this is the first time you are listening, the mission of the podcast is to unravel the most top-of-mind concepts in the realm of technological change management and transformation. Yes, that is digital transformation, if you want the correct, overly used term. And to help discover and define the challenges and solutions to these areas, I bring on practitioners and leaders in the field of artificial intelligence, cloud computing, and industry to have these deep discussions about what businesses should be doing in this evolving era. Today, Sawyer Kelly joins the discussion. Sawyer is currently a workplace analytics consultant at Microsoft. If you haven't heard of workplace analytics, it is an analytics engine that runs on Microsoft's proprietary Office 365 that captures behavioral understanding of how people work in organizations to help these organizations realize the bigger trends, for better or for worse, to guide healthier and more productive workplace environments. Sawyer and his team then take this data and make recommendations for how organizations should change their cultures from meeting optimizations, the way they host meetings and the amount of people that come to these meetings, to staffing models that limit off-hour work times, all the way to cross-department collaboration that drive additional creativity for the benefit of not only customers, but business impact across the organization, and more distinctly, the protection of the business's most important assets. It's people. Sawyer got his MBA from Washington University in St. Louis, Olin Business School, if you are familiar, and he joined Microsoft in 2017. Sawyer is an extremely talented person, as you shall see. He was the founder and CEO of several mobile ATM payment service startups before Microsoft, which we don't get into, but I thought that was very interesting, and brings with him expertise as a Power BI solution architect in his former role at Microsoft, where he helped Fortune 500 customers realize and reason through their data by constructing effective business intelligence strategies. He was also the de facto evangelist in the Southwest region for our business intelligence stack, Power BI, leading one-to-many customer-facing presentations and trainings. So getting up in front of a ton of different people, analysts, technologists, 
and presenting on why they should be using business intelligence tooling. He's a very heavy hitter in the field of behavioral analytics. And as you will see, quite passionate in the area. Really had some fun with Sawyer on this episode. If you haven't done so already, please rate and leave a short comment of your feedback in Apple Podcasts. It helps me understand the direction of the show and how to serve up better and more useful episodes to you as a listener. Thank you for listening. And now I bring you Sawyer Kelly. Sawyer, how are you? Doing well, Derek. How about yourself? I'm doing super good. I'm really glad to have you uh, on today's talk. Um, So we know of each other because we were both hired into Microsoft in 2017, uh, summer of 2017, through the mock program, uh, which I think is the Microsoft Academy of College Hires. Uh, So we are both uh, uh, MBA graduates that got hired through this program. And um, I instantly identified you as someone that's just super talented. Um, You have just, you're kind of a young guy and you have an amazing uh, experience already doing some really cool stuff. And uh, we kind of worked together in a similar capacity, but you were more on the technical solution architect end for our visualization stack uh, in Microsoft Power BI, which is exciting. And now you're, we just caught up a couple weeks ago and you were in London and you're doing some great things with a different part of the organization. Uh, So love to hear from you about what you're doing today at Microsoft. Yeah, sure. So also to provide a little context that Derek um, may have not gone into fully. So Derek and I actually were roommates on um, the, on our first weekend (laughs) uh, during the training. Um, And you actually got me into podcasts. I had never really listened to podcasts before. And I remember a conversation you said, oh, you know, you should listen to these podcasts. So it's cool to see coming up on two years now, um, you've got your own podcast and doing your thing. So, um, obviously very talented on your end as well. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And we, and we, I think we did, we did catch a couple IPAs, um, after hours, which was great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So as far as what I'm doing now, um, I am part of the workplace analytics team at Microsoft. So workplace analytics is a relatively new product only been in market, um, since actually the start of 2017, right when we joined and, what it allows you to do is take some of those that telemetry or signal data from some of the Microsoft products, match it up with HR data, um, things like what department you're in, how long have you been with the company, um, at an aggregated form, and then um, map that to understand how people are working both within their companies and with other groups outside their company. So um, it has a lot to do with behavioral economics and is just a really fascinating area in my mind. So we connected because you were doing some work with a customer and you were just quite excited about behavioral analytics and, and what the workplace analytics product was doing. Can you just walk us through what a typical day looks like for you and how you're consulting some of these businesses and what you're, what you're kind of helping them with on a day-to-day? Sure. So... Um, I'm going to sound cliche here and say, you know, no day is the same. Um, but so I will try and focus my, um, what I do. Um, but what I generally break down my job into is three things. I think, um, one is Microsoft is the biggest customer of workplace analytics. Currently, we have a lot of projects going on internally. So doing a lot of stuff internally. Secondly, the team is scaling really fast. So I've only been part of the workplace analytics team about a year and it's over doubled in size since I've been here. So 
there's a lot of stuff to do around scaling the organization, um, putting structure in place, given um, we're still a product and incubation. But as far as what I do in the point, I've, I've listened to a couple other podcasts. Um, most of my time, probably 60% is working with customers. Um, and that's kind of broken down into two sections. Um, the first is really um, similar to a customer success manager at Microsoft. So what that means for those who are unfamiliar with the Microsoft jargon is um, someone who helps onboard customers to our products, un- helps them understand how to be successful using the product, tracks progress. I'll do things like help the customer scope analyses of things they, they can do and even review some of the content that they prepare to make sure that they're putting out deliverables using the product that um, that we'd expect. But the other half of my job is really um, a traditional consulting style um, work. So we have a lot of people on the team who are ex-management uh, consultants, um, ex-niche um, consulting. So what we do is we will get credentials actually into the customer's tenant. Um, we will perform the analysis on behalf of the customer with all the, the agreements in place, of course. Um, but we will address a couple of specific use cases that a customer may have. So with workplace analytics, we have um, three buckets of use cases that people will generally look at. One is around creating capacity. So if organizations feel like they're overloaded, um, workloads are imbalanced, they have no work-life balance, um, there may be shadow functions going on, um, we can help address some of those, understand um, where departments might be overloaded, how work can be better distributed, et cetera. The second use case is around growing mastery. So that's essentially using things like quota attainment data or engagement scores. We can group and understand what are the specific habits of the top performers in the company or people who are the most engaged in the company or even people who are likely to leave the company and work backwards to understand what are the workplace habits that they're um, exhibiting and see if we might be able to replicate some of those as best practices across the organization. And then the last use case is around orchestrating networks. That's understanding if you do things like acquiring a company, how is your collaboration, what do your collaboration patterns look like? How can you better integrate that company? Um, Another example would be if we're part of a massive 100,000 person company like Microsoft, are there some organizations that aren't talking to each other that should be? So understanding um, how to break down some of the org rigidity and silos that take place within larger companies. Then the last example is something like external relationships. How much time are we investing in given external groups like partners or customers, suppliers? Um, Who is interacting with those groups from our end and how do we better coordinate the way that we're serving external groups outside of our company? So we'll generally scope out um, a little bit of work anywhere between a four and a 16 week engagement related to those use cases and then um, work with some of the leadership at customers to try and dive in and understand um, the way their company is behaving. Incredible. And that was a great explanation of the use cases. So businesses would want to understand some of these different metrics, especially with what's going on now with the future of work and diversity and inclusion and all these different um, goals and initiatives a lot of these businesses have, especially the work-life harmony, work-life balance, I think is probably huge. Um, so that makes complete sense from a, and I know you're, and I know you're very interested in behavioral analytics and what mm-hmm. that means. And in a world where there's just so much data, I mean, I'm wearing an, an iWatch right now and 
and like looking at my activity. And I'm sure that you probably have a tracking device on you as well. <laughs> um, since you're so, you're so much into this, this stuff. And there's also the, the, the bio analytics that a lot of athletes are, are using where they're able to do like performance blood draws and, 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 and put that data against how they're, you know, with, with their usual, um, uh, performance looks like on the field or off the field or how they're sleeping. So there's all these different analytical methods, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but when thinking about what you're doing and how excited you were about how workplaces can really design better office spaces and how people work and collaborate, I came across this quote from the GM of Office 365, Natalie McCullough. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned uh, unlocking the idea of digital exhaust. Mm-hmm. And which I thought was just super cool. And just aside from Microsoft, and I have this uh, workplace analytics, or my, I think it's my analytics is an add in to my Office 365 subscription through work. So you technically have both. We can go into that okay. in a second, but my analytics is um, probably the one you interact with most often. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm looking at my, my analytics, and it's pretty awesome because I'm able to, it's, I mean, it's, it's telling me how much focus time I have. Um, how much time I'm, I'm kind of denoting to specific workloads. Um, focus time is huge. I think Peter Drucker writes in the effective executive, you need at least like one and a half hours of focus time to get anything done. And so there's a lot of work and, and studies behind that. It talks about well-being and whether or not I'm engaging off hours, who I'm proactively uh, working with the most, who I should probably reach out to, how much I'm collaborating, just a wealth of information. So... Mm-hmm you're taking this information and you are going back to the customer at once they kind of tell you your, your use case and they, they communicate your, the, the scope. And then you're saying, Hey customer, this is what we found. Is that, is that kind of what you're doing? This is what we, this is what we found. And then you're giving some insights and recommendations. What does that look like? And what are you finding? Sure. So I think you bring up some very good points. Um, there is just so much data to work with. Um, so many insights that are possible that really the challenge here is not finding something that's useful for the customer because there's plenty out there, but it's really about communicating what you get from the insights effectively and then also getting down to something actionable. Um, there's just so much here, it's easy to get overwhelmed or kind of get lost in the data. Mm-hmm. So typically the way these engagements work is we really want to be use case driven, um, really understand an initial problem of the customer. And oftentimes we'll start um, pretty small in terms of um, how much success or ROI we have just to kind of prove value and prove um, that this is something that um, really can show off some insights. Um, so what we'll generally do is identify a problem. Um, once we identify a problem or opportunity area, so let's take the example of collaboration overload, because that's something that a ton of customers deal with. And that's the issue of people spending too much time after hours in their work, um, getting burnout, um, having to leave the company. So what we can do is take a look at things of like how much time people are spending in email and meetings after hours. So outside of their uh, outlook driven working hours, um, how much time people are spending in collaboration overall during the workday. So understanding how much time they have to get actual work done outside of collaboration. Um, So taking metrics like that and, um, understanding what deviations or how big those numbers are, put that in the context of where they're at in the company, and then kind of recommend um, ways to possibly distribute that workload or um, give some nudges um, is a behavioral economic terms to try and cut down possibly 
on some of that collaborations that is occurring to help um, get the work that they need to get done. And outside of, 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 you know, stepping outside of Microsoft, like we, we, we do a lot on the, on, on this podcast, just to really add color into how technology is shaping some of these different things. So you're, you're saying you're, you're starting small, you're starting small with a POC and you're, there's just a tremendous amount of data. And I know what that looks like just working with customers and my customer profile um, with, with the team I'm working with. But as you start to dig into this data and you're starting to look at these different things and things just start to come to light, what are you seeing that is problematic in, in some of these organizations outside of maybe just working too much after hours? Like, What are some like big, really like juicy trends that you're seeing that you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is crazy. I need to communicate this up to the customer. Sure. So I think that there are um, a couple of interesting things. Um, one is related to meeting size. Um, this is something that we see all the time that it's companies, especially big companies, tend to be really big fans of having meetings. And that's something that takes up a lot of time and definitely can have negative effects both on engagement and productivity. There's a lot of um, research out there. Um, a lot of it cited in HBR talking about how um, large um, seemingly ineffective meetings tend to um, really hurt how satisfied employees are at their job. But what we often see is um, a, a significant percentage, often the majority of meeting time that people participate in um, is either over an hour long or has 11 or more attendees. So there are people spending um, possibly 15 or 20 hours in meetings a week, and they'll be have over seven hours, um, sometimes over 10 hours of meetings with just tons of attendees, really long meetings. And not only are those proven to have a really low chance of actually getting things done, like coming to consensus on things, enabling agile decision-making, but they also are really deadly for um, engagement. So it's really easy to zone out, start texting, um, just not pay attention. Um, so that's something that we see all the time within companies. Looking at other things within org rigidity and silos, which is one of our um, niche use cases, oftentimes we'll see that companies will be broken down into possibly 20 or 30 different departments across the whole company. And if we look at the network sizes of individuals within given departments, they may only have um, network connectivity to possibly only two or three other departments within the whole organization. So we see all the time where organizations are, it's not like they're acting as one organization, but they're almost acting as 20 separate organizations that come together under one umbrella, even though it, they're responsible for one big product. So not saying that this is the case with Microsoft, but just using Microsoft as an example, it would be like product only talking to product, sales only talking to sales, et cetera. And it's like, how are you supposed to put together an integrated product or solution to the market if you have so many disjointed parts of the organization? And then a last example that we see all the time, and this is probably one of my favorites, is external relationships. So I think there's a real lack of understanding in general about how much time and energy is being invested in both suppliers and or customers. So let's take the customer for the example. Oftentimes, if you match up, what we can do is with customers, we can match up how much revenue is being generated for the customer um, and then compare that with the amount of total time invested um, with those customers. And there's often a big disparity there. So there might be, you might be investing a ton of time as your organization in a customer that's not generating that much revenue or that much value for your business and then vice versa, where you're not dedicating nearly enough time to some of your top customers. Um, so those are 
three things that we see fairly often that tend to um, really be important to understand for leaders of the company to, to make sure that they're operating in a way that best reflects uh, the value that they're trying to get across. This, this is a, and I don't know if it's just because I'm a, a, a massive, you know, AI analytics, AI nerd, but like, this is so fascinating. This is like such fun work that you're doing because you're, you know, and we discussed this, like in a world where everything is becoming automated, everything is becoming digital, um, spending time or m- more time and more energy and more capital is, has to be allocated toward human capital and how people are spending their time because, we're now competing against machines. So we're really having to index our value and our potential against what makes us human beings. And that's how we spend our time and how we're creating and how we're collaborating with each other. So I, I, I took, I was just looking into this based on, upon the report that you're probably referencing from the Harvard Business Review. They correlated successful selling with these three, with these three items. Which is which is just blew my mind. So one is is obviously spending more time in front of customers and prospects. We know that it's having a like large and healthy network. So then mm-hmm. we see, and there's a lot of data behind if you're whether or not your social selling index, which is a, a LinkedIn metric. If the higher that is, the more probable that you are to to meeting your quota or exceeding your quota. Um, so having that big network in your own organization, and then that the third one was really enlightening. It's how much time you spend with your manager or senior uh, leadership in, your, in the business, which is, it just makes so much sense. But when would you be thinking about those different things? Another thing that kind of was just crazy to me, and this was a, a report that, that Bain uh, wrote up, and they, they were saying that today's senior executives devote two days per week to meetings. And then all of the meeting time and all of the effort that goes into prepping those executives for those two days, including their time, was something like $30 million a year. Oh, yeah. I would say, if anything, especially a large company, that's probably an underestimate. Um, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So if you're a business that has these issues, let's we, and we can even just pick on understanding top performers or sales productivity or if you're a business that wants to solve these things, like what should you be looking at? So I think unfortunately you do see some trends that are present across the, across all businesses, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it is individualized to the company to really understand the habits of top performers. You don't want to just take some generalized tool and try to apply it to your company. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that comes down to, um, using workplace analytics, I guess. I don't want to be too salesy, but using sure. some tool to understand how your top performers are behaving, whether that's qualitative or quantitative. Mm-hmm. Taking that habit, applying it to your specific organization uh, in the in the regards to top performers, and then putting some hard science behind it, making sure that you're not just making decisions based on um, anecdotes. Um, but then using that and then identifying what are the habits that are best, um, that can be best applied across the company that are easy to, um, instruct to other people within the companies. So for top performers specifically, at least the way within workplace analytics, we commonly do it is just really understanding what are those collaboration patterns that seem to be different when comparing the in-group, out-group, group A, group B, um, of the people who are kind of exceptional in the way that they perform, either based on um, performance ratings or quota attainment. And um, 
seeing what differences are, are things that could possibly be instructed to the rest of the organization and also getting at why those habits are possibly leading to success. So not just understanding the what um, people are doing differently, but then also coming back and saying, you know, how is that having an effect and really getting at the root of that and spreading it to um, spreading it across the company. And I guess are there learnings, let's say, what like what's the best the best way to execute? And I it seems like you've been spending a lot of your time like culling through some of this data, very specific use cases for different customers. What's the what's next in terms of when you provide a recommendation or a recommendation report and you say, Hey, these are the things that we've found. Are there ever like super low hanging fruit? that you could apply across different organizations. Like, you you know, when it comes to sleep management, you're going to tell me, hey, don't drink caffeine past noon, no blue light before you go to bed, you know, those kind of different things. Are there like very holistic items that you're seeing on some of these reports where it's like, look, you have to do these three, four or five things before we can even start getting into the very granular performance, the millimeter performance that you need to start operating at the the very, very top band of your capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that you bring up a really, really important point here um, that, you know, there is definitely a maturity scale to how effectively customers can get at accomplishing these things. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes customers will see the cutting edge of what some companies are doing and immediately want to replicate that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really all about starting small, building up some maturity, um, building something that can scale to some of those more advanced capabilities, Mm -hmm. and then going from there. So Really, um, we do two things to drive change, um, which is definitely the hardest part of all of this. I, mm-hmm. I always say that um, it's not easy, but it's relatively easy to find the insights and understand what's um, what are the problem areas within a company, at least just looking and analyzing the data. It's really coming to um, implement change management, which is much more difficult, actually getting the company to change based on these insights. Um, so I think things that we often see a lot are c- Again, like you said, providing some a couple small recommendations that might be top-down, change-driven, um, and easy to implement to knock off some of that low-hanging fruit. So an example would be um, if we find dis- a company is disengaged and then also one-to-one meeting hours between managers and their direct reports are pretty low, which tend to correlate pretty highly. Um, we would recommend that executives um, possibly start an initiative or provide some encouragement to get managers to routinely schedule a half hour one-on-one every other week. And then using the workplace analytics product or some other sort of analytics tool, track that progress over time and see um, if that behavior is being picked up. Um, And then um, if not kind of providing further encouragement to get that done. Um, So that's just one example. Um, Another example would just be implementing some of those my analytics nudges. Um, So my analytics is actually a sister product of workplace analytics that's being provided to all customers very shortly, I think within the next month or two, and uh, it'll encourage positive habits. So you can do things like signal nudges to kind of discourage people from setting long meetings or posting meetings after people's hours. So just adopting some of those habits. Um, there are um, a couple small things that generally can be done from the very beginning to make a dent. And then I think, um, once you see the impact of just like a small couple of recommendations, that generally is um, really has a really positive impact on how excited companies are about using workplace analytics. And that's when you can scale 
to more and more advanced capabilities beyond there. That sounds a lot like how businesses should be adopting their AI strategy. It's really thinking big, uh, going fast and starting small, I think is the quote I always, I always talk about. And it, it, I think that this is right up the same alley, whether or not you're looking at high-tech parts that are coming off of a, a supply chain cycle, and you're looking at different variations in, in quality at a high level with some time series data that you're, you're seeing extrapolated uh, in a terabyte level like per day. That's like insane, right? In the factory floor. But at the same time, now you're talking about how people are answering emails and how they're setting up meetings. And it's just a tremendous amount of data. But they're both use cases. You're really having to approach it very slowly because of this, this maturity curve that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Someone like you just being, you're just drowning in this stuff every single day. How has this changed? Just a personal question. How has this changed how you live your life? Like all these different analytics and like, I would love to understand what you do, how you operate differently because of some of this. So it definitely is um, kind of, um, it has a huge impact on the way I live my life. Um, but it's always weird to be doing things every day. You, my job full time is studying the workplace behaviors. And then sometimes you get all meta and look in on yourself and be like, you know, am I really following the practices that I'm advising? Um, is this the way that I'm performing um, based on some of these things that we come to? So, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to, I work with customers in different time zones. So there'll be times where I'm checking email after hours. And, you know, I look on that and it's like, you know, oftentimes the recommendation to my customer is either distribute your staffing model or kind of divide and conquer when it comes to this. Am I really embodying this? Am I giving, putting a respectful work-life balance onto these things? Another example is, you know, I work with a variety of different customers and groups and thinking, you know, am I connected with the right groups internally to best serve my customers? So I see this all the time in the way I work. Um, whether I'm fully executing on everything I would, I would recommend to a customer is a, a different story, but it, I, I do my best to do so, I guess. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's tough. So I'd like to ask you, there's some folks that I follow on LinkedIn and some influencers and some thought leaders around the future of work. Um, and uh, I, was, I just pulled up a, a, a Deloitte Insights um, graphic and it talks about uh, the future of work is kind of encompassing with these three elements and it's you know who's who's performing the work mm-hmm. what part of the work can be automated with things like ai and and uh machine learning and technology and then where is the work being done mm-hmm. what do you think about the future of work and how it's changing and and you may not have any thoughts on this but it'd be interesting to hear like you know you work remote um, you're obviously a, a global consultant at this point because you're flying over a couple ponds to get to your customer. Like, what do you think about the future of work and how it's changing and, and how we should all be embracing it or not embracing it? Yeah, so I think that there's definitely some positive and negative trends going on in the workplace that definitely need to be, um, be addressed. I think that there's often a utopian... Um, mindset in place about how things are improving. I think like a hundred years ago, they were saying with the advent of technology, we can all start working 20 hour work weeks or 10 hour work weeks. Um, and yet we've seen work weeks continue to be high. So, um, my thought is that AI is not going to be the panacea that, um, 
that everyone thinks it's going to be. I think it's going to vastly change the way work is done completely. I think people are going to have to take on new skills and um, not necessarily have to do as much routine stuff. Um, but it's definitely going to um, change things on that front in terms of the what people are doing and what the skills they're going to need to be successful. I, it, that reminds me of uh, so I. I'm kind of a late bloomer in this regard, but I just, I'm listening to uh, uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week mm-hmm. and he's just like a, an absolute assassin when it comes to being so critical about how you spend your time. And he was talking about how technology is just making it worse mm-hmm. because now we have these supercomputers in our pockets and they invented, you know, the email emails now become you know, maybe 15 years ago, you sent an email and you're like happy that you get an email. And now email is potentially like an instant messenger, mm-hmm. right? Like you're just like people are like trading jokes and emojis via email and you're just constantly connecting. You're constantly looking at that stuff. And it would be interesting to see if things are going to change where analytics and AI can help us get away from the technology more, like creating more focused time and how that's going to change. And I I think a lot of these businesses are probably like optimize, optimize, optimize. But you're probably seeing that some of these customers are saying, Hey, we want to optimize, but optimization may not be how do you fit 15 uh, meetings into a day? It might be, let's just do two meetings and let's make them quality and let's have you remote dial in. So you're not commuting to work and let's make sure you have focus time throughout the day to actually create something. Yeah, I think that that is a really important point. I think on the last question, I kind of like got onto one tangent and just kind of skipped the, a little bit of the question, I guess. But um, that is very much the case where, you know, when it comes to working, more is not always better. There's definitely a diminishing and negative returns to to um, the amount of input you put in at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, 60 may not be better than 55. It may actually be worse than 55 when it comes mm-hmm. to the amount of productivity. Um you might even, whether 40, 45, you just don't know where that is. Um, and I think that the advance of technology, um, companies like Microsoft you know, um, and other tech companies around the world, um, we've definitely, I guess, over the last 30 years, probably kind of given a lot of power to companies, but also kind of given a drug in terms too, in terms of providing that flexibility around working. Um, so now with mobile outlook on your phone, now you can work at all hours of the day sure. with working um, so now you can take calls on the weekend if you need to, or communicate across t- time zones easier, um, which does create more flexibility in work, but it also creates problem with work-life balance and the way people are working. And I think now we're just coming around to it. I think that this is a big trend that's been co- going on the last three years or so around tech companies kind of being the solution to the own problem that they've created in a sense. So workplace mm-hmm. analytics is part of that. Um, you see things with Google or Apple around um, setting quiet hours on your phone um, to make sure that you're uninterrupted, um, things of that nature. Um, I My hope is that tech companies will get a little more responsible about trying to um, encourage people to adopt healthy behaviors and not, because um, it's been, I guess, historically pretty easy to push the, the more is better type mindset when it comes to um, having the ability to get work done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. So just working here at Microsoft, obviously we, we build these amazing tools and I mean, Microsoft teams is like a, it's like a, it's like a slack on, you know, human growth hormone. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just a phenomenal tool, but like the notifications and now people can get a hold of you anywhere, anytime, and you're working on something and people are pinging you to death and you're like, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, just to have this, this, this show, I, you know, I put my phone on air on uh, airplane mode. I'd like closed out an outlook and like all the, all, everything on my desktop. And then I went to my door and put in like a sticky note that said, sweetheart, you know, uh, doing a podcast like so my daughter or my, or my wife doesn't come like barging so it's like you're constantly fighting for attention uh or or declining attention and um it's just it's just really cool that you're working on this stuff and and that businesses are are interested um so a little bit about you like what kind of um podcasts you listen to sure so i think um two that are somewhat relevant to to this conversation we've been having um, or or or, ir- or ir- irrelevant if you want to. I will also go irrelevant too. Yeah, we'll perfect, irrelevant perfect. And get more and more off track. Yeah, there um, you go. There you so go. Freakonomics um, is a classic one that I think Love a lot it. of people listen to. Great podcast. Love it. Um, then another one that's directly in this space is Work Life by Adam Grant. Yeah. Um, so that, that yeah. is definitely one to look into. Um, we actually had someone from our team um, talk for a little bit on one of the earlier podcast episodes in this season, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, then going a little more off the rails, I think, um, you know, some of, I listen to a lot of nonfictions ones. One of the fiction ones I would recommend actually now that I think about it, it's not even not, it's not even fiction, but it's a little more storytelling. It's revisionist history. Um, so that is, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. And I think, um, a lot of being successful is learning to communicate effectively in storytelling and yeah. just the way he writes, the way he communicates stories. Um, it's just incredible to listen to. And then I guess rounding out um, the the nerdier ones would be Econ Talk um, and Business Wars. Um, those are some really good ones as well. Business Wars just essentially talks about different rivalries between major companies. So the latest one is Ferrari versus Lamborghini and walks through um, how those companies have competed over time. And then Econ Talk is just an hour-long discussion on really any sort of economics-based discussion every um, week. So those are all really good. And then one that you recommended when we first um, when we first met was waking up with Sam Harris. Um, so yeah. I think that just is generally some great discussions that go on there. Um, be it as you may, what opinions you have on religion. I know he's got some um, interesting opinions on religion and free will, but I think if there are often discussions that have nothing to do with either of those, it tend to be really good um, that are worth listening to. If you can get over some of the um, disagreements you may have in his initial assumptions. Sure. Yeah, I love I love that podcast. Do you usually read books? Yeah, I I wish I was better at using Kindle or um or the mobile ones, but I just like holding Paper. the book in my hand. Me I'm too. Like, I love gifting them when I'm done too. Yeah. Yeah. What What's on your nightstand? So let me take a look. I actually have it like right behind me. So um, so I try and mix it up and do a mix of business stuff, which is super easy for me to read, but then also branching out and trying some other stuff. I think um, the Count of Monte Cristo is, is there, which is Good the for you. That's the one I got to read. And then I know some of the other fiction ones I've read recently are the Kite Runner and Dune, which um, were both really good books. You know, it, it can be hard for me to get into fiction a little bit, but then every time I get into it, I'm like, wow, I should read more fiction. Um, and then as far as nonfiction book goes, nonfiction books go, I've actually got Daniel Pink's book over, um, on my nightstands, that's when um, the scientific secrets to perfect timing. Um, but a lot of it has to do 
with behavioral economics. Um, that is typically what I've been reading as of late related to the, some of the business books I have. You're just dialed in, Sawyer. I like the, the Count of Monte Cristo. That's cool that you're doing that. Um, I was reading, uh, in terms of fiction, Clear and Present Danger by Tom Clancy. Yeah. Um, so I, just, I love Harrison Ford and he, he did that movie in the 90s, which was just like, I loved it. Um, but, I, but I'm, and, and why I wanted to bring this up is I'm finishing up on Sapiens. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a great one. Yeah. And it, it's like crazy how, you know, especially if you're, if you're a religious person, maybe this is not the book for you, like, or super religious, or if you are a creationism person, maybe you shouldn't be reading it. Um, but it's just amazing how they map the way that we behave as, as individuals to human beings that were living on the planet, you know, 40,000, uh, I think it was like up to 10 million years ago. It's just different kinds of human beings living together, like mm-hmm. Neanderthals living with, uh, homo sapiens and like, and like why they're behaving certain ways. And it's such a great read. I'm really enjoying it. It made me think about you with all this behavioral analytics stuff. If you like that one, you should read, um, guns, germs, and steel as well. Um, that's a really interesting one that gets into some of what is going on in Sapiens. Um, and then, of course, you can get into more of the behavioral economics one. So like Nudge would be like an intro. Um, Richard Thaler, um, that is a really good one as well. I have that one. I, I'm halfway through. I put it down. I'm, I'm going to give that a look. Um, so Sawyer, what's what's next for you? you? You've done a lot. I mean, you've done everything from uh, owning your own uh, business, ATM, ATM business, uh, looks like uh, before your your graduate school days all the way to to working as a sales engineer and now you're in a in a consulting role for Microsoft like you know what do you want to do in the next couple of years <laughs> oh i've got my but... resumes open you know <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Out yeah, well, like wow. what's what's interesting to you like you know yeah so this has been i guess i've changed over time on this perspective i think i always used to be like a 5 year plan type of guy have a map out like oh when i'm 45 here's where i want to be and then um, the more I've got into it, the more I realize every year has been vastly different than what I expected it to be. Um, so generally, I don't have any like long-term plans on where I want to be five years from now. I just have um, skills that I want to develop. Um, and I think a lot of those, I think that there's still a ton of untapped um, skills and things I need to learn within the people analytics space and the consulting space. So I think for the immediate future, I, I'm really happy in role. Um, really just want to understand how to deliver value and drive actual value, not just insights to customers. So the more I can do that, the more um, the, I think the happier I'll end up being. And then also just getting some more depth in the people analytics space. Um, it is a kind of a nascent field. I kind of think it's what maybe um, financial analysis was in the early eighties or something. There's just so much potential here. Um, you know, I could easily see myself being somewhere else five years from now based on where my interests go. But I think, Honestly, for the time being, it's um, getting deeper into interacting with customers, um, really understanding the way people behave, drives performance and um, and success and businesses. And then from there, I think um, having those are very tangible skills that can be applied anywhere. So just take what the world um, offers me there. You're in a really great spot and Microsoft is really lucky to have you and you know what you're doing. You really do. And I think... I can't wait to share this out with others because this is just really cool stuff and people need to know that this exists so they can start managing change in their organization. So thank you for coming on. What's the best way to get a hold of you if, if folks want to message you? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter? 
social accounts? Yeah, so I would say, um, I would say LinkedIn is definitely my biggest one. I'm not, I don't have a Facebook. Um, my Instagram has like five pictures on it or something. Um, so LinkedIn Sawyer Kelly, I think I'm the only one that pops up. Um, and I'd say, yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, fantastic. So I'll, I'll put the, the, the podcast we discussed in the books and some of the links in the show notes so folks could access those and really had a fun time, Sawyer. Thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for um, hosting the conversation. This was, um, this was a lot of fun and I really get nerded out once I get into this stuff. So um, yeah, it was enjoyable. Certainly. Thanks, Sawyer. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.